This is the Future of Pay podcast, and in this episode, we chat to Adrienne Harris to explore the rapid growth in tackling financial inclusion through earned wage access. The age-old problem of waiting to get paid is being eradicated globally through technology solutions, empowering people to get paid as they earn. With increasing success stories of earned wage access worldwide, it's no wonder the focus has shifted to its potential in Africa. Welcome to the Future of Pay podcast, a show where we explore the concept of getting paid, why this is changing, and how it affects you. Today, we talk to Adrian Harris, a professor of practice at the University of Michigan, as well as a Gates Foundation Senior Research Fellow. Adrian also serves on Smart Wages Advisory Board. Adrian, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. Adrian, you served as a special assistant to President Obama for economic policy at the National Economic Council in the Obama White House, where, as I understand, your portfolio included financial reform and financial technology. And I believe you also spearheaded the development of the administration's fintech strategy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure, happy to. Um as you know, when the Obama administration came into office, it was during the financial crisis. Um, by the time I came to the White House, we were a few years out. We were still working quite a bit on financial reform, as you mentioned. So implementing Dodd-Frank, um, installing lots of consumer protections. The Consumer Financial Protection Board was a, still a brand new entity. Uh, so we were doing a lot of work around that. But it struck me that there was an opportunity not just to be looking backwards and and fixing the things that needed to be fixed in hindsight, but also to look forward uh, to the future of the financial services industry and that we had a real opportunity to shape the industry in accordance with affirmative objectives. Uh, and fintech was, was sort of just catching on then. And I was working with my counterparts in, in other countries, watching the development of this space. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to try and leverage the technological innovations that were happening to try and make financial services work better for consumers. Amazing. You, you talk about these um, technological innovations taking place, and I, and I guess we sit in a world in South Africa, which is largely a couple of years behind. Financial innovation is a, is a buzzword and is, is so exciting. What excites you about technology and what did you do at the White House to spearhead reform and take America forward in the use of its fintech? Yeah, there were a couple of things we really strive to do. I think first, you know, there's, there's this perception that government is always lagging industry. And that's usually true and largely true for, for good reasons, especially when we think about not wanting regulation and policy to front run innovation. Um, but I felt pretty strongly that that, that lag should be shorter than it was. So I really endeavored to make sure we were talking to innovators, those who are particularly focused on financial health and transparency, making financial services work better. Um, and similarly, because it's such a big government, you know, in the U.S., we have so many financial regulators. We've got so many executive agencies. Um, so a large part of what I tried to do was just to bring everybody together uh, so that we were all sort of rowing in the same direction, collecting the same information. Everybody was aware of what everybody else was doing um, so that there could be some consistency in how we approached and thought about the space and some shared learnings. So that was a big part of what we did. Um, and I think, you know, for the for the industry, for Congress, it was meaningful coordination uh, because we were able to stay very close to innovations and at the time really help shape 
some of the innovations so that they were serving our policy goals as well. It's so refreshing to hear government and regulatory bodies, you know, innovators in the space and private companies working together to collaborate on the best way forward, ultimately serving consumers in the process. I think South Africa, you know, sits in, a, in an interesting space where I don't think government and regulators necessarily always work uh, as closely with the companies trying to change the future. Do you still see some of that at the moment? Did you manage to make you know really good progress or is that something that I guess you're still trying to bridge the gap between in the US? Yeah, I, I think it's something we're still trying to bridge the gap between. I mean, there's still lots of work to be done there. Um, and because we have federalism, right? We've got our state governments that that may do something vis-a-vis fintech in terms of fintech sandboxes or flexible regulations. And then we've got the federal government. And as I mentioned, innumerable financial regulators at the federal level, um, there's still lots of work to be done there. And I think, you know, if you talk to different policymakers, they feel differently about the role of business and the private sector in helping to achieve policy ends. I think some view business in the private sector very antagonistically. Um, others feel like there is room for for a partnership. So it's an ongoing conversation in democracy, I think. So you've had the experience of working on one side of the table when it comes to you know government and regulators. But on the other side, you've had the chance to work in a number of companies and startups yourself, as well as working with several VCs, including the NYCA, Village Global, and F-Prime. Um, I'm interested to dive into that a little bit more. For those who don't know, Village Global is an, an early-stage venture capital firm backed by some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs, including Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and Reid Hoffman, to name a few. They've also backed WageStream, and WageStream is the earned wage access market leader in the UK. When you look at uh, entrepreneurs and startups, what is the biggest thing you look for when it comes to funding them and getting behind the innovations that they're providing for their consumers? Yeah, well, I, I won't speak um, for Village per se. I'm one of their network leaders, and so I do help them diligence companies and help advise some of their companies, but their investment decisions are their own. I will say for me, when I'm looking at companies that I want to get involved with either through investment or advising, um, that first and foremost, I look for innovations that are truly helpful uh, to customers. I'm less interested in innovation for innovation's sake, uh, at least when it comes to the financial services space. And I really look for things that that feel like they can make financial services better for consumers and for markets. And part of that, in my mind, um, is making sure that the entrepreneurs have the, the right motivations, right? That they're really looking to make positive change, uh, that they have a healthy respect for, for government policy and regulation, um, and that they've truly found an innovative way to help consumers better their financial lives. I love that. And um, you mentioned not just innovation for innovation's sake, innovation that really tackles uh, specific consumers' problems. One of the most important parts of why we're working together is because you have a focus on making an impact and doing so at scale. You're involved with the Financial Health Network. Um, and as, as far as I understand, you chair the Human Capital Committee. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Financial Health Network is and, and what is it all about? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Financial Health Network is a nonprofit based out of Chicago, although they have offices all over the U.S., uh, started and run by an incredible woman named Jennifer Tesher. Uh, and the mission is really to improve financial health for Americans, just, just as it sounds. Um, so the organization does a number of things, uh, weighs in on policy, conducts incredible research, uh, and even invests in startups that, that it sees as promoting consumer financial health. So it really is a multifaceted approach to thinking about consumer financial health in the U.S. And, you know, Jennifer's really been instrumental even in, in coining that term because I think prior to, to her work and involvement in the space, we often thought about financial inclusion, uh, which is an important part of the equation, right? People having access to financial services. Um, but unless those services are actually making a difference in their financial health, their savings, their paying down debt, their resiliency, when we think about things like insurance, um, unless those things are really contributing to improving their financial health, they're, they're less meaningful. And she's really made a tremendous mark uh, in the space through her work with the organization. In South Africa, as far as I'm aware, we don't have such a thing. And I think it's certainly something we should strive for, whether it be, you know, put together in collaboration with government or with regulators. We have consumers who are being taken advantage of. And, and ultimately, everyone wants to see a vision of a financially healthy South Africa or financially healthy world. Um, so, so do you know when the Financial Health Network was actually started up? And what would you say to not having such a thing in South Africa? Yeah, so uh, Jen started the organization, gosh, over a decade ago, it might be close to, to 20 years or 15 years. Um, so it's been around for a while. It's one of the organizations I really counted on uh, when I was in the White House, you know, for um, for straightforward policy analysis and recommendations when it came to consumer financial health. You know, I think it's an important organization. Um but I would say, you know, it'd be great to duplicate that sort of work all over the world, including in South Africa. And it should be a collaboration between the nonprofit sector, uh, government and the private sector. Absolutely. The Financial Health Network, you know, is ultimately a force for good in, in people's lives. And I guess there's a number of fintechs in, in the U.S. Um, who are advanced in making sure that the lives of Americans are, are enabled through access. One of them I want to quickly touch on is a company called PayActive. PayActive is one of the pioneers of earned wage access in the U.S. They've been around since 2011 and work with the likes of Uber, Wendy's, and Walmart, giving millions of people a way to access their earned wages. Could you talk a little bit about PayActive and the innovation you're seeing in the earned wage access space in America, in addition to sort of touching on some of the other fintechs that are doing exciting things to change or rather empower the lives of, of American consumers? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I know PayActive. I'm not um, inter intimately familiar with um all of their, you know, inner workings. Um, but I would say the space generally has really grown in the U.S. The early wage access space has, has really grown in the U.S. So there's a number of companies um, approaching the space with, with different business models. Uh, and I think what we've seen is that ha people having access to their, to their money in a timely way is really important for their financial health. The delays that they see uh, from a 14 day or a 30 day pay cycle and from the delays in our payment system really do have an impact on people's ability to conduct their, their lives and really everyday normal activities. And so 
a number of companies have come on to help accelerate uh, people's access to their wages, whether it's during the 14 or 30 day pay cycle or just accelerating the availability of, of deposits once they've been put into somebody's bank account. Um, and I think as these things catch on, people are realizing what a difference it makes in the consumer's day to day financial lives. It's fascinating because in, in the US, you know, 70% of the workforce are, are paid either weekly or every two weeks. And I guess one of the, the key concerns a lot of employers in, in South Africa have is, is that, you know, if, if people are paid every week or every two weeks, then they shouldn't need access to this. But given these earned wage access pioneers who, who are tackling a market which is largely paid every two weeks, I guess that brings into question the fixed pay cycle and ask the question, you know, why should we have to wait uh, to get paid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the fact that people get paid every two weeks or every 30 days um, is really just born of an arcane system, right? When people were only getting checks, you didn't have the ability necessarily to do direct deposit. You didn't have instant payments. So the technology is certainly there to pay people more often. And frankly, it's their money, right? We're ta- We're not talking about advancing money not yet earned, we are talking about giving people access to money that they've already earned. It is quite literally their money. Um, and if you think about sort of the a month in the life of an average consumer, say somebody who gets paid every two weeks, because I think that's the most common setup in the US, you've got somebody on, on day one of the month um, getting half of their income, but all of their bills are due, including rent or mortgage. And that's, you know, their largest expense. And for, um, a good number of, of Americans, right, their rent or mortgage is 30 or 50% of their income. So you can imagine for somebody whose rent is 50% of their income, uh, and you only get 50% of your income at the beginning, uh, of the month. It all gets spent in one shot. And then what do you do for food and heat and electricity and shoes for your children and, you know, dog food for Rufus? Um, <laughs> and so allowing that person to access more wages, you know, a week later um, so that they can make payments and just go about normal financial things uh, becomes incredibly important. It does. And, and one of the stats we always talk about as a, as a company is um, 140 billion rand is the amount that employees lend their employers throughout the month but haven't been paid for. That's that's money that's theirs. That should be in their bank account. Um, Adrian, one last question. You've been involved with SmartWage for a couple of months. And what does this problem mean to you personally? And, and, and why did you get involved with SmartWage? I just think it's such a, it's such an important problem and, you know, and sort of a basic solution. And you said it very well, right? People should have access to their money. Um, that does not seem like an outrageous claim to make. Um, right. You've earned it. It's yours. You should have access to it and be able to use it to do things like buy gas and pay your heating bill and buy sneakers for your children. And so for me, I, you know, I realized that this is obviously not just a problem that exists in the U.S. So we should be looking to, to foster these innovations around the world. Business model obviously matters. So as I said at the beginning, you know, when, when I met you, Simon and SmartWage, I knew it was a group of people that was looking to do the right things for the right reasons, uh, to have a business model that was going to make sense for consumers by solving this problem for them but in a way that that also didn't exploit the situation, right, that that helped them in a way that was affordable and accessible. Uh, and that was, of course, very compelling for me. Amazing. Adrian, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for the time and for opening up 
about your time in the White House using technology for good and your passion for taking innovations in the US and then bringing them to places like South Africa. I think we're, we're incredibly lucky to have someone like you on our advisory board and, and look forward to working with you over the next few years. Uh, you're very kind. Likewise, Simon. Thank you so much.